Hello, and welcome back to Shockingly Wicked, a true crime podcast where we bring you true crime cases from the headlines to the hometowns. I'm Brianna. I'm Brittany. And we are your hosts for the evening. Today is a uh, an interesting experience because I mentioned last week, I believe, that my camera has started to act up. Because before it was Brittany who was always having problems with her microphone, and now my camera has decided that it wants to just not work like it works but then once we hit record it just starts freezing so she can't see me i can see her perfectly fine but she can't see me so i could be making faces at her and she will never know i would know in my soul you'd know in your soul i mean that's fair so i (laughs) i forgot to mention this to you offline but uh he's a big true crime fan and he was over for the super bowl party No, he he listened to it and he said he loved it. <laughs> he he told me he told me that this morning. So I just wanted to pass that on to you. So hi, Will, <laughs> if you're listening, hello. Hi, Will. I'm very sorry. All right. So what is today's case is Chris Benoit, which I don't know a whole lot about, but you did mention that it was a wrestler, correct? Mm-hmm. Chris, actually, my Chris, not Chris Benoit. He told me about it. My lovely husband. Okay. So we have Chris to thank for today's episode topic. So I'm really intrigued to see what happens with this one. Um, Stone Cold Steve Austin. (laughs) (laughs) Sarang one, Brittany. That's Chris's favorite wrestling. Had to mention it. Okay. Did your brother watch wrestling? He did at one point. He had a wrestling phase, but I don't know if he still does. He probably knows who who this is, and I don't. Probably. (laughs) All right. Well, I guess I'll just go ahead and let you get started then. All right. Oh wait, I got, I got, I got to say the thing. Brittany, take it away. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> so Christopher Michael Benoit was born on May twenty first, nineteen sixty seven, which means he is a Gemini, and we know <laughs> I how like I that you actually added that into your show notes. <laughs> feel about Gemini's. <laughs> yes, I did. It's very important. In Montreal, Canada, two parents, Michael and Margaret Benoit. I love the name Margaret. It's a very cute name. Oldie name. Chris would later (laughs) be moved to Edmonton, Edmonton, Alberta, which was where the family would stay and Chris would grow up. He did have a sister, but I can't really find anything about her, which, like, she's not listed anywhere. So, I know tell about her. Benoit could speak both English and French fluently, which makes sense because he is Canadian. Not every Canadian can speak French, but I think in Montreal, that's that's one of the places where they do. So, Well, he had two children with his first wife, Martina. But by 1997, the two would get a divorce. And I ain't naming the kids because that's not fair. So I know tell about them. Valid. Chris would go on to have a super successful wrestling career that would last for 22 years. Dang. So, as a child, he was totally fascinated by the idea of wrestling, and by age 12, he was doing anything he could to prepare himself and his life to become a wrestler. In high school, he won a ton of awards for wrestling and even bodybuilding, which I didn't know you could bodybuild in high school. I didn't either. I thought that was like an adult thing. I guess in high school at that time... Yeah, because that was like the seventies. They didn't. They probably didn't have as strict rules as, as we do now about sports and. Yeah, because you could um smoke cigarettes. Okay, so he would always state that his inspirations for becoming a wrestler were Tom Billington and Bret Hart, and it's actually kind of funny because Bret Hart, um, when Chris Benoit became a wrestler, Bret Hart actually mm-hmm. trained him. So. Well, that's cool. Yeah. He got to meet his hero. Yeah. His professional wrestling career started in 1985 (laughs) in the Stampede Wrestling promotion, and that lasted until 1989. His success in Stampede had earned him enough credit to become, like, a part of the bigger leagues. So in 1989, Stampede Wrestling would close its door, and Chris took his career to Japan to join the new Japan Pro Wrestling and that lasted from 1989 to 1994. Question. Is it Stampede or is it Stamped? Stampede. Okay. I know it says Stamped. Just checking. I didn't do that. I was just checking. Chris Benoit first came to World Championship Wrestling in June 1994, where he teamed up with wrestler Biff Wellington. <laughs> I feel is like that it's his real Bill. name? I don't know. It's the last name Wellington. <laughs> Well, no, I'm because uh, there's beef Wellington as like a, a meal. 
<laughs> so that's why I'm asking if that's his real name or not. Biff Wellington. I hope it is. Yeah, I, me too. Biff, Biff, if you're out there, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> I hope you're listening, Biff. So World Championship Wrestling was a short run for Chris, and then he would return to Japan shortly after losing the Super Brawl 2. It's to play on the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's valid. <laughs> he said, I ain't doing this. I'm a loser here. In 1994, Chris started the Extreme Championship Wrestling. Okay, I didn't know there was all these kinds of fucking wrestling shit before I, didn't I looked realize it, up. it was. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that the, this was like an international thing. I guess I just always kind of assumed that WWE was like it. Well, see, WWE is international. It's just like all these different like stuff. I didn't even know it was international. I guess world I just assumed it was wrestling. American. It's World Wrestling Entertainment. That doesn't mean anything. It, like, what is it? Miss, Mr. Universe or whatever, that bodybuilding pageant? Like, There's a bodybuilding pageant? <laughs> well, it, I guess it's technically not called a pageant, but it's essentially a pageant. <laughs> it's like a... Because I, I just remember seeing, like, these pictures of these super duper buff people in, like, these skimpy, like, bikinis and speedos and stuff to show yeah, off their muscles. Yeah, that's a so, bodybuilding show. Like, yeah, thing. Yeah, but it's it's essentially just a pageant. No, Like, well, I know it's yeah. not called a pageant, but it's essentially a pageant. You're taking away and their masculinity. Anybody, I don't care. <laughs> if that's enough to take away your masculinity, did you really have masculinity to begin with? So you teamed up with wrestler Beef Wellington. <laughs> Biff Wellington, not Beef Wellington, my bad, my bad. <laughs> no, it's, it's Beef Wellington. <laughs> so, in 1994, Chris started with Extreme Championship Wrestling in between tours of Japan. So, he was with Extreme Re Championship Wrestling and still with the New, New Japan Pro Wrestling. And this is when he first became known as the Crippler, which Jeez. is so dramatic. A, it is, but it's very hardcore. I appreciate it. In November to Remember... Benoit accidentally broke Sabu's neck during their match, which is why he was named the Crippler. Um, the injury happened um, when Chris threw Sabu with intention that he take a face-first flapjack bump. I don't know what any of this means. <laughs> but Sabu attempted to turn midair and take a backdrop instead, but Sabu did not achieve the full rotation and landed almost directly on his neck. Okay, that's that's a little uncouth to call yourself the crippler because you actually crippled a man. I don't think he called himself the crippler. I think I'm, that's just what... I hope not. So, after that match um, was finished, Chris returned to the locker room and broke down like he couldn't believe that he had almost just paralyzed somebody. Mm -hmm. Um and from all accounts, from, like, everybody that has, like, spoken to him before the crime, they said, like, he was super peaceful, like, he cared about people, but he kept to himself mostly. Mm -hmm. So, after that whole thing happened, he then became widely known as the Canadian Crippler. That's pretty much what stuck. That's what was his, like, or the rabid wolverine, that people would call him that, too. See, I appreciate rabid wolverine, because that's not... I appreciate Stone Cold Steve Austin, because that's... <laughs> Stone Listen. Cold Steve Austin. Uh, sorry for blowing out your ears there, but I hope you appreciate your wife, Christopher. <laughs> I did that for you. I say that all the time at work. It's valid. It's understandable. So he became widely known as the Canadian Crippler. So New Japan Pro Wrestling and the World Championship Wrestling had a partnership. So they were in another wrestling thing. So because of this, Chris Benoit signed with the WCW in 1995. And that's where he would stay until the year 2000. Due to disagreements with the WCW, Benoit, along with Eddie Guerrero, who is his best friend, Dean Malenico and Perry Saturn left the company and jo joined WWE, which is World Wrestling Entertainment, where the four of them would then form a group called the Radicals. With a Z for emphasis. Yeah, and the Radicals would, like, last until 2000, like, from 2000 to 2001. That was a very short-lived. Yeah, very one year, one and done. Chris Benoit would be, a, like, would stay a part of the WWE until he later died in 2007. So, two years before Chris would go on to commit his crime, so in 2005, 
His best friend and fellow wrestler, Eddie Guerrero, died suddenly from heart disease. Um, and so I watched the uh, documentary Dark Side of the Ring, which is a super good documentary. I didn't watch all the episodes. I just watched the two episodes that had, like, to do with Chris Benoit. Mm-hmm. And it talked about Eddie. And so Eddie was, like, big wrestler. And he would get hurt a lot, but he didn't want to go to the doctor. Because if you get hurt and you're out for so long, they forget about you. And you essentially become a nobody. Yeah. So he would self-medicate with drugs. And then he became addicted. Because mm-hmm. that's how as, that happens. As one does. And he actually OD'd, like, three times. Oh, jeez. And so he died at 38 from the heart disease. Um, and I think the heart disease was probably brought on by the drug use. Yeah, I imagine ODing three times probably doesn't make for great heart muscles. But but when he died, I think he was clean. But I think like it just was suddenly like it was in a hotel room and he was just dead. Yeah. But Chris and Eddie were like best friends. Um, when Eddie died, everyone who knew Chris said they would be like, oh my god, Eddie. And then they would be like, oh my god, Chris. So like, that was like the kind of relationship they had. But they said like he changed. Like he went into a Great Depression. It was like Eddie's death changed him on a deeper level. And everybody said like he had never been the same after that. That's understandable. And so like, yeah. And so, because I think that was like the first person that he was like. They said it was hard for him to connect with people. Mm-hmm. And so like he opened up to Eddie. And I think like when he died, it was just like. They said, like, when they told him, there, it was just, like, a whale on the phone. Yeah. Like, an, like an inhuman whale. And I was like, yeah. And I get that, because I think if somebody that I was... Like, if I died, would you be sad? Yes. <laughs> like, without Thanks. question. I would be... I would be... I would be super depressed like you and then a couple other friends that I have that are very near and dear to my heart like if my dad died I wouldn't know what to do with myself <laughs> like I I, it's probably weird to say this but my dad is one of my best friends like <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cute like I wouldn't know what to do with myself like I know it's gonna happen one day because he's in his 60s you know he's getting up there like it's gonna happen at, at some point but like it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a rough time. Did I tell you your dad looks like my stepfather in law? You did. <laughs> did I show you the picture? Yeah, when I when I was down there when we did the photo shoot, you showed me the picture. And I was like, oh wow, <laughs> like because sometimes people will be like, oh he looks like this guy, and it's just because he's like bald and black. <laughs> no, no, they but look- no, you they actually look <laughs> they actually look very similar. He listens to this, so he's gonna be like, oh my god, you mentioned me. <laughs> hey, Lewis. <laughs> Um, his family got Chris a journal, like, after the death of Eddie. So, like, kind of help him cope with it. But mm-hmm. in the journal, he would, like, write to Eddie. There were some interesting statements found in it. I don't really know, like, what the statement said because they didn't tell me. But, yeah. I am intrigued. I wish we knew. But the mystery yeah. will go on forever. So, Nancy Benoit. So, Nancy Elizabeth Tofalani was born on May 21st, 1964 in Boston, Massachusetts to Maureen and Paul Tofalani. And she had one sister, Sandra, who was also featured in the Dark Side of the Rain documentary. Um, she graduated from DeLand High School and got a job right out of school as a secretary at a small company called State Farm. <laughs> Just a tiny little company. I mean, tiny. at the time, they probably were. <laughs> Yeah, probably. (laughs) So she married a man named Jim Doss, but I really couldn't find a lot about him or their marriage. So I assume it was like probably like like high school sweethearts, maybe. Mm -hmm. But George Napolitano was looking for a beautiful girl to model for the front cover of the June 1984 edition of the Wrestling All Star magazines. And so Nancy was also doing like modeling on the side of her state farm job so bill auden who is a fellow photographer and had worked with nancy in the past recommended her to george and that's kind of like what kind of kick-started her career into wrestling it's kind of so cool. fast forward yeah so fast forward the magazine and nancy began to sell programs at the orlando show of apartment wrestling i don't i don't know i couldn't find anything about it so <laughs> i'm Confused? <laughs> Question mark? Yeah. So she would go under the stage name Para or Para. Probably Para. Um, this is where she met her second husband, Kevin Sullivan, who was like, hey girl, 
join my wrestling honorage. <laughs> I imagine that's like what he said, word for word. That's exactly how that mm-hmm. happened. I believe it. <laughs> yep. So, after months of convincing, she became an on-air valet, and she took a new stage name of Fallen Angel, making her first ring debut in on July seventh, nineteen eighty-four. She was uh, with Kevin Sullivan. And she took Fallen Angel because Kevin Sullivan was a wrestler, but he was also, like, a booker and a promoter. So he had this, like, gimmick called the Satanist. I don't... So she was, like... He was, like, the Satanist Satan guy, and she was Fallen Angel, and it was, like, a whole thing. Okay. So a theme. Um, We love a motif. (laughs) So essentially they became like one under this gimmick, traveled the United States doing promotions for Southwest Championship Wrestling, yet another wrestling company. (laughs) Lord. Never knew. Like, there's NFL. That's it. That's all I know. They also had a couple other leagues that they tried to start, but yeah, it's it's essentially just the NFL at this point. So, Nancy and Kevin would get married in 1985, and she would appear in World Championship Wrestling under a new stage name called Woman. And I think that one and Fallen Angel were her two most popular, but I just like the simplicity of Woman. Woman. No, announcing Woman. So, in 1993, Nancy would kind of, like, leave Kevin's little thing to kind of do her own thing, but she would go on to join Extreme Championship Wrestling with a wrestler named... Sandman, who would eventually drop her from his act, but essentially all she would do would be to would light his cigarettes and open his beer for him, and then oh. like if they were <laughs> wrestling, like a, like if it was a tag team thing and it was like a guy and a girl, she would be the wrestler, so, but she was essentially a barmaid. Quite sexist, <laughs> but I guess <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. it's it is wrestling. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on July twenty second. 1996, she made her first appearance in World Championship Wrestling on WCW Monday Nitro. During this this time, she joined Kevin Sullivan again, and he had scripted like this whole persona, this whole like thing where Chris Benoit stole Nancy from him. So it was like an on screen relationship between Nancy and Chris, but it was really just used to like pin Chris and Kevin against each other, like to build the hype. Yeah. But there was a running joke between everybody that Kevin wrote his own divorce because the on-screen affair became an actual affair between Chris and Nancy. Yikes. So Kevin and Nancy would go on to divorce in 1997. And right after that, and right after they divorced, Kevin lost a retirement match to Benoit where Kevin was going to retire from wrestling and focus on booking and promotions, the Yikes. promotion side of the operation. So not only did Chris steal his woman, he also made him look like a fool. Okay, so, I mean. To be fair, <laughs> if you suck at wrestling, that's your own fault. <laughs> Chris ain't got nothing to do with that. No beast, Mr. Still Your Girl. <laughs> Nancy would go on to make her final WCW, and it's also her final professional wrestling appearance, on May 26, 1997 on Monday Night Nitro. She walked in with Chris, and something happened. They walked out, and then Chris came back, and she didn't join him. And after that, she was never mentioned on WCW programming again. So I don't really know what happened. Sounds so, like drama. Drama. Drama, drama. So um, Chris and Nancy would eventually like go on to get married, and they would have a son together named Daniel. And that was Nancy's only kid, but it was also Chris's third child because he had two with his first wife. Mm-hmm. And so Dan- um, Daniel was Nancy and Chris's shared kid. Okay. We're going to skip ahead. So on Friday, June 22nd, 2007, Chris Benoit killed Nancy in the upstairs office of their shared home in Fayetteville, Georgia. He bound her limbs with duct tape and her body was wrapped in a towel, presumably post-mortem. Um, and he, like, pressed a knee into her back while pulling a cord around her neck, which caused her to, like, suffocate. Yeah. But... He then placed a copy of the Bible beside her dead body. I don't... I don't know. That's, uh... I'm sure there's a message there somewhere, but... So there was, like, little to no signs of a struggle, which investigators believed that he, like, surprise attacked her. And the medical evidence saw no, like, evidence that she had been sedated prior to her death, so he did it while she was alive. Mm-hmm. Um, however, levels of hydrocodone and alaprazolum were found in her body. 
I don't think I've ever heard of that second one. I, yeah, I don't know what it is. I'm gonna have to Google it. Google it. At about 3.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturday, June 23rd, 2007, Chavo Guerrero, which I believe is Eddie Guerrero's brother, received a voicemail from Benoit stating that he had overslept, missed his flight, and that he would be late for that night's house show in Beaumont, Texas, which if you listen to the James Bird episode, there's like a parallel there. Mm-hmm. Guerrero called Benoit back, and Benoit picked up his call. Guerrero claimed that Benoit sounded super groggy and tired, but reconfirmed everything that he had said in the voicemail. After ending the phone call, Chavo was concerned about Benoit's tone and demeanor. I don't know how you determine somebody's demeanor over the phone, but go off. Yeah. Whatever. And decided to call him back about 12 minutes later, but Benoit did not pick up the phone. Chavo left a voicemail for Benoit asking him to call back, and at 3.44 p.m., Benoit called Guerrero back stating that he had not answered because he had been on the phone with Delta Airlines trying to change his flight, and then he continued the conversation by stating he had had a stressful day due to um, Nancy and Daniel being sick with food poisoning. Um, Nancy's dead at this point, so but nobody knows that except Chris. Okay. Guerrero said, all right, man, if you need to talk, I'm here for you, unquote. And Chris ended the conversation with, quote, Chavo, I love you, end quote. So he 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 knew what he was going to do at that point, right? Well, Nancy's dead. So th- that conversation took place after Nancy died. And I believe yeah. that he killed, he killed Daniel a day later. So he killed Nancy on Friday. He killed Daniel on Saturday. But they, they don't know, like, there's not a time established for yeah. when Daniel was died. I feel like, we'll get into it more, but I feel like he didn't, I don't know what led up to that, mm-hmm. but we'll get, we'll get into it. So, okay. a co-worker who often traveled with Chris, he was unnamed, called Chris from outside the Houston airport and Chris answered the phone call and then Benoit had stated that Nancy had been vomiting blood and so had Daniel. Like I said, it's believed that Daniel and Nancy are both dead at this point. So... It's believed that Daniel was murdered sometime on Saturday, June 23rd, a day after Nancy, but the exact time of death is unknown. Daniel was also suffocated and killed in his bedroom, like Nancy, and a copy of the Bible was placed by his body. Internal injuries were on his neck, but there were no outer bruising present. So, like, when they did the autopsy, they could say, police reports determined that Daniel was sedated with a Xanax and likely unconscious when he was killed. Um, I did Google what that other drug was, the Al- whatever prazolam mm-hmm. that is also a xanax type thing so they were both technically on the same type of medicine well hydroconone is pain or no yeah hydroconone is pain but then it was the other one the alprazo whatever i, I don't want to scroll up and fear like that my nerve. computer will start freezing again yeah that mm-hmm. one it said was like a xanax type of drug oh that might be like the generic version of xanax probably Okay. A large butcher knife was found underneath Daniel's bed by investigators, but the knife was not used in either murder. So it's unclear whether the knife was placed like he was going to use it and then Mm -hmm. decided to like strangle them. I don't know. So it was later alleged, but never actually confirmed that Daniel had fragile X syndrome. So what is that? Going to tell you. We'll get right to that after a quick word about our sponsors. We just recently started using Podcorn, and it's been an absolute game changer. I really like being able to shop around on the marketplace where podcasters of all sizes can pick and choose sponsorship opportunities on the platform. This makes it especially easy for smaller podcasts or ones who are just getting started out to collaborate with other podcasters and brands directly without any exclusivities. You can choose between submitting for host read ads on your podcast, interview segments on other podcasts, engaging in topical discussions, and so much more. Even better than that, you're never giving up any of the rights to your podcast in the process. Podcorn makes sure you're protected and fairly compensated for your work by letting you choose your own rates, and they also offer transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when to monetize your podcast. And did I mention it's completely free? Click the link in our show notes to sign up for Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities today. Thank you to Podcorn for sponsoring this episode. 
Fragile X syndrome is a genetic condition causing intellectual disability. Symptoms include delays in talking, anxiety, and hyperactive behavior. Physical features of Fragile X include large ears, a long face, a prominent jaw, forehead, and flat feet. Interesting. So there had been claims that needle tracks were found in Daniel's arm due to the Benoit family giving him growth hormones because they believed like he was like smaller than mm-hmm. he should be at his age. But Nancy's sister Sandra states that those claims were preposterous and denied that Daniel never had fragile X syndrome. And Chris Jericho, I know that. Yeah, he actually has a. He was um one of Benoit's good friends. He actually has a podcast. Okay. It talk it's like Jericho or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I heard it was good, but I don't know. But that's where Sandra stated that those claims were preposterous. Gotcha. On his podcast. Chris Jericho, former wrestler and friend of Benoit, stated that, quote, the symptoms fit Daniel to a T all across the board. End quote. And quote, if Chris had decided that he wanted to keep something to himself, you would have not been able to pry that out of him. End quote. So basically it wasn't confirmed because their parents never talked about it, and they were, he's basically just saying, like, if Chris decided to keep that to himself, then you weren't going to get that out of him. That's understandable, especially because it's, like, medical diagnosis also isn't necessarily always something you want to be open about. Because I, I feel like people, there's a lot of shame around not being what is quote-unquote normal, and it's mm-hmm. change, It's changing now. People are definitely more open about their struggles, like both with physical and then also mental mm-hmm. health. So, yeah, I just at the time I could understand why that's something yeah, that this they is like talk. 2007. Yeah. Chris Jericho later recanted his earlier claims, stating, quote, it turned out that Daniel did not have fragile X, but at the time it made sense because I was grasping at straws, end quote, in his book. Um, Undisputed, which I think came out in 2011. Okay. I ordered the book and it never came in. Oh. But like it's still shipping. So okay. I bought it from that thrift bookstore. Oh, okay. I, I so love thrift books, forever. but yeah, sometimes sometimes it takes a bit. So I didn't get to read it before, but I will tell you guys <clears> if it's a good book. I heard it was really good. Um, District Attorney for the Fayetteville um, County, Ballard. I don't know his first name. That's Guess fine. I gotta look that it's up. not important. Later released a statement that a source with access to Daniel's medical files found no mention of any pre-existing mental or physical conditions. And Daniel's former teachers reported that he had been on par with students and had not been held back like previously reported. So it's actually like it's never been like there's conflicting reports whether he had it or didn't. Yeah. So like mentioned above, Benoit failed to show up in Beaumont, Texas for the house show. He had called Chavo and left a voicemail that stated, quote, he would be on a flight that would arrive in Houston at 8 a.m. the following morning, end quote. During this time, Chris called and left a voicemail to an unknown friend. I don't, I don't know. On Sunday, June 24th, 2007, five text messages were sent between 3.51 a.m. and 3.58 a.m. from both Chris and Nancy's phone. So, if you kind of, like, so it starts on Friday and then it ends on Sunday evening, it's Mm -hmm. like he's spiraling. Yeah. It definitely sounds that way. So, four of the text messages include Benoit's home address, and I'm not going to say the home address because it's since been sold. Yeah. But the text message literally say, this is my physical address, and then it lists it out. Mm -hmm. And the last message stated that their dogs, two German Shepherds named Carney and Highspot, were outside in the enclosed pool area. And the text reads, quote, their dogs are in the enclosed pool area, garage side door is open, end quote. Chavo Guerrero had been woken up by the text message and went back to sleep, later realizing that Benoit never arrived at the 8 a.m. flight. So I think he, like, saw it, figured he meant to send it to somebody else, and then, like, went back to sleep. Yeah. So then Chris then proceeded to call WWE's talent relations office, stating that Daniel was vomiting and that he and Nancy had been taken to, had taken him to the hospital. So Benoit killed himself on Sunday evening, June 24th, by hanging. He used a weight machine cord in their basement gym to hang himself by creating a noose from the end of the pull-down machine. He then released the weights, um, and by the way, like he had set it to 240 pounds, which was only six pounds heavier than his body weight, which caused a strangulation. He had wrapped a towel around his neck that was connected to the cable, and when he let it go, it broke it instantly. Xenix and hydrocodone was found in Chris's system, as well as elevated testosterone sipinate in his urine. Interesting. So he was doping? 
He definitely heavily used uh, steroids, and that's been reported. He's been using... It had been reported that he had been using steroids um, since high school. And And that's... It's wrestling, so... And we'll talk about that, too. On June... 25th 2007 so this is monday so that happened over a three-day period from friday to sunday and then on monday john lorenatus wwe vice president of talent relations called fayetteville sheriff department and asked them to complete a wellness check at the benoit house obviously that's it's fayetteville it's that's Fayetteville. (laughs) fayetteville complete a wellness check at the benoit house obviously they found the body so at 4.15 p.m. on Monday, WWE was notified that they had discovered the bodies of the Benoit family at their home. A suicide note had not been discovered in the initial investigation, but in another Bible that was sent to Chris's first wife, Martina, in Canada, a handwritten note was found inside that uh, stated, quote, I'm preparing to leave this earth, end quote. That was it. That's all it. Well, I, th- I I feel like that's probably why he was said Chavo, I love you though, because he. Well, he- I feel like he knew that's what was going to happen, but it's like he spiraled. Yeah. But they believe that it, like he killed Nancy, like them two, they were in an argument, and mm-hmm. I guess he killed her like while in the argument, and like I feel like once he killed her, it was like yeah, a spiral after that. I I could see that, especially if it was like a heat of the moment thing. Yeah, I don't know if it was, like, necessarily he at the moment because he came up behind her. That's true. But mm. I feel like he is already suicidal because he's already struggling from depression. That was clear. Mm-hmm. When Eddie died, he had not really come back from that. I think it just got worse. It was untreated. Obviously, steroid. The steroid use is not making it any better. Yeah. But, like, they got into it. And then once Nancy died, he was like, well, I don't... Not, I don't know if this is what happened because a motive has never been like officially established. But yeah. like, it's like he killed Nancy and he was like, "Well, I can't leave Daniel here," so he killed Daniel. And then he was like, "Well, I'm, I'm gonna kill myself too." Yeah. So you know, like, I don't. It was like, probably like, an, I have nothing else to live for because Eddie's gone, Nancy's gone, Daniel's gone. Now Daniel's gone. Yeah. So like, it's awful. It's terrible. Like, it's a shit thing to do. But at the same time, there's clearly, yeah. And like a mental, yeah, he had he problem. had a mental break. It sounds like, uh, yeah, not stating that everybody who has mental breaks murder people, but well, yeah. I'm just saying the increased testosterone certainly did not help. No, so this is kind of sad. So investigators believe that Chris used his finishing move, the crippler, to kill his son due to the marks that were on Daniel's mm. body. Poor Daniel. So Chris Benoit's search history showed a recent search of the quick and easiest way to break a neck. Like, he was researching that before he hung himself. So he was trying to figure out how to kill himself. Well, <laughs> at least that was an, an easy guess. Because you remember in, uh, what was it, the the suitcase murder, where it's like, how to <laughs> how to commit a murder? <laughs> like, I mean, I guess if it's not something you know, then I guess it makes sense to Google it. But I'm just like... I guess, but bestie. Yeah. I mean, the neck is pretty fragile I, I imagine that it's not very hard to not everybody's like us Brie okay you're that's true <laughs> not everybody knows random ways that people are murdered so WWE attorney Jerry McDevitt appeared on live with Dan Abrams on July 17th 2007 so I don't Jerry McDevitt throughout this thing conflicts himself quite yeah. a bit because, so the autopsy report on the Benoit's, which I'll get to like, and like down further, mm-hmm. um, was released, I think, on the 16th. Mm-hmm. But before that, Jerry McDevitt said that there was no proof that it was a steroid, <laughs> like a roid rage type thing. Uh-huh. So on July 17th, 2007, he goes on live with Dan Abrams and claims that Benoit was pre- prescribed testosterone as part of a treatment for testosterone replacement therapy. Because investigators had found steroids and evidence that he had recently used steroids before his death in the Benoit home. Jerry went on to state that this was common medical practice for people who had used steroids in the past and had suffered from testicular damage as a result. I know that, like, doping, it definitely, like, impacts the nether regions. I don't know all the details, but, like, 
I could understand that, but it makes it tiny. Yeah. But then the fact that he initially said that there was no doping and then he literally flips the switch the next day when the evidence comes out saying that there was to me, it just kind of sounds like he's trying to play PR like try. We'll see that like going further, but uh, I don't like how WWE handled this. Mm -hmm. Christopher Nowinski or Nowinski. I think it's Nowinski. He's a former wrestler, uh, but he also had to stop wrestling and started doing a lot of research on CTE, which we'll talk about. But he believed that Benoit may have suffered from repeated untreated concussions throughout his wrestling career, which may have led to his mental state. Understandable. As Benoit stated when the two were talking, because Nowinski asked, how many concussions have you had? To which Benoit responded, too many to count. So, because I think... Nowinski said that he had like six and then he had to stop wrestling. So Nowinski said, quote, Benoit was one of the only guys that would take a chair shot to the back of the head, which is stupid, end quote. Yeah. Which, I mean, he's not wrong. It is pretty stupid, but I get why they did that. So tests were conducted on Benoit's brain by Julian Bales, head of neurosurgery at West Virginia University, which Christopher Nowinski is the reason this happened, um, because after Chris Benoit died, he called Michael Benoit and was like, hey, this is what I think happened. And Michael Benoit was like, yeah, let's absolutely get this set up. So tests were conducted on Benoit's brain by Julian Bales, head of neurosurgery at West Virginia University. Results showed that Benoit's brain had been so severely damaged that it resembled the brain of an 85-year-old Alzheimer's patient. Benoit was 38 when he died, so I don't know. No, I'm sorry. He was 40. I lied. Tests conducted on Benoit's brain tissue revealed that he did, in fact, suffer from severe chronic traumatic encephalopathy. I did so good pronouncing that. I'm so happy. I'm going <laughs> to refer to it as CTE from going on from like here on forward. Mm-hmm. Um, his brain was damaged in all four lobes as well as the brain stem. So they're all four were severely damaged and the brain stem. So like homeboy was it wasn't looking good for him. Mm-hmm. Bales and his colleagues concluded that repeated concussions could lead to severe behavioral problems. Michael Benoit believes the brain damage caused by untreated concussions may have been the leading cause to the double murder-suicide, but a statement released by WWE dismissed the idea as speculative. Mm-hmm. So, Well, I mean, at the time, maybe, but now there's definitely more now. research on it because um, that's a big topic in the NFL, too, is CTE. Well, CTE, I think, only had four patients at the time before uh, Benoit. Yeah died um so he was like the fifth it was found in the investigation that nancy had actually filed for divorce from benoit in may 2003 after an alleged domestic abuse from chris went down um but she eventually withdrew the divorce in august 2003 but reports of domestic abuse and altercations were reported from the household until their deaths so i not that this is like makes it okay but i actually read like both of them would like egg each other on yeah not that it's okay. I don't think you should ever put your hand on a woman. But, yep. yeah. It, well, yeah, they both were wrestlers. Yeah. But it, it's also when... He's also using steroids, so... Yeah, because increased testosterone makes you more violent. Like, plus the CT. Like, that... Mm-hmm. It's not a good combination. Yeah. So, in February 2008, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported that Nancy may have suspected Chris to be having an affair with an unnamed WWE diva, and that this, their source was recently released was a recently released report from the Fayetteville County Sheriff's Office. Um, I really couldn't find the report, so I don't know. Take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. But the tox... Oh, so the toxicology report on the Benoit bodies were released on Tuesday, July 17, 2007, which is the same day that Jerry McDevitt went on live with Dan Abrams. Okay. And was like, oh, yeah. Da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> Playing damage so, control. Yeah, pretty much. So let's talk about the WWE's response to the death, because I don't like how they handled it at all. Mm-hmm. And remember, Chris was with WWE for seven years, so it wasn't like the short run. So the news about Chris's death was first reported to fans on their mobile alert service with an official statement posted on the WWE website shortly after. WWE then went on to cancel their scheduled three-hour-long live Raw show on Monday night on June 25th, 2007. 
and it was replaced with a three-hour tribute to Chris Benoit of his life career, which featured clips of past matches, segments from the Chris Benoit story DVD, and comments from his fellow wrestlers. It wasn't until the live show was nearly over when reports surfaced that there was more to the story and police believed that it was a double murder-suicide. So, um, Awkward. <laughs> the next night, after learning more about the evolving case, WWE aired a recorded statement from Chairman Vice McMahon at the opening of the episode. Quote, last oh. night on Monday Night Raw, the WWE presented a special tribute show recognizing the career of Chris Benoit. However, now, some 26 hours later, the facts of the horrific tragedy are now apparent. Therefore, other than my comments, there will be no mention of Mr. Benoit tonight. End quote. It's Vince McMahon. Whatever. I don't <laughs> like him. I mean, it's fine. I just, just, I recognize that name, so I know that, I know that one. McMahon. <laughs> After learning the full details, WWE quickly went on to distance themselves from Chris Benoit. So they actually went to Nancy and Daniel's funeral, but they didn't go to Chris's funeral because um, it was too separate. Mm-hmm. Um, WDE website went on to remove all past mentions of Benoit, including all news articles about the crime and Chris's biography, as well as the video tribute comments. They pulled the tribute video from international markets. A substitute raw tape was created in place of the three-hour tribute tape, which featured recaps of John Cena's WWE championship victories. Well, I love John Cena, so that's fine. <laughs> I just finished watching Peacemaker, and he's fantastic in it. So if you haven't watched, go watch. He pissed me off in the Suicide Squad, though. I mean, yeah, he's <laughs> the character's an asshole, but but it, the show the show is really good. So some countries that received WWE programming had all Benoit matches edited out. WWEshop.com removed all Benoit-related merch. All mentions of Benoit had been removed from archived footage that also applied to Nancy, but her footage has since been allowed to uh, air. Benoit, along with the Crippler crossface move, was removed from the WWE SmackDown vs. Raw 2008 video game. Starting with the 2010 WWE SmackDown vs. Raw, the move was then reinstated under uh, the name Crossface. So... Semi-retired professional wrestler Hulk Hogan. Semi-retired. Because um, he keeps going back. He's no, like Eminem. Either pick and choose what you want to do. Okay, the reason is because it's the only way he's making money now. <laughs> he had that, I know he had that like reality show for a while because I, I watched Who, that. Hulk Hogan? Yeah, it was um, House of Hogan. You know I he think. lives in Florida? I don't think I knew that, but I, that doesn't surprise me. He lives in Florida. He lives, I think, in Tampa maybe. I used to live in Tampa. I used to live in Tampa, too. Semi-retired professional wrestler Hulk Hogan. He's got to be, like, 80. Oh, I don't... <laughs> Hold on. Let's Google it, shall we? Hulk Hogan. How old is Hulk Hogan? Let's let's find out. Hulk Hogan. Nobody has a better, like, marker. He's 68. <laughs> That's so close to 80. <laughs> Whatever. Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's the only guy I know. It's only because my husband commented on Benoit's personality quote he was peaceful and he kept to himself I think it had to be something personal a domestic problem between him and his wife unquote which that may be true but that doesn't condone murder yeah (laughs) cool motive still murder former WWF slash E co-worker Kurt Angle commented quote it's not WWE's fault and it's not Vince McMahon's fault. Chris Benoit was responsible for his own actions, end quote. That is correct. You're not wrong. Chavo Guerrero openly spoke about how Chris Benoit's death affected him, and he went on to state that Benoit had been a very private person, yet was a close friend to the Guerrero family. So in 2003, Benoit had been inducted into the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame, but after the crime came out, his induction underwent a recall election in 2008. Benoit was kept a member by a very narrow margin. I'm torn about that because, like, in a sense, it's not really his fault, but at the same time, it is. Because it's like... I know, but WWE didn't have to go to that extreme lengths. I know. Like, and, well, that's that's why I'm torn about it, because it's like, I understand why they were doing it, because to them, he's a murderer. They don't want to have any association with him. But it's like, yes, he murdered. 
I'm not saying that the the CTE and all that stuff is not is an excuse for what he did. It explains it. So it's like But he also wasn't getting help. Yeah. And the you know, the steroids weren't helping. Yeah. But also it's like they did that three hour tribute. Oh yeah. Realized they look like assholes because all the details were out. And so like by pulling him from everything that they owned was was their way of making up. When in reality, they could have been like, we just really didn't know the details. Yeah. That's I mean, because he still had a seven-year career. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's the thing is, like, trying to erase every single, like, mention. I mean, they could have kept his archived footage. Yeah, because it's like, at that point, he wasn't a murderer. Well, and then why would you take on Nancy? She was the one that got murdered. She didn't even do anything. She's a victim. Yeah. And, well, because it seems like they, you said they have allowed they it reinst- to air since now yeah but they have but that was i think recently like they've recently allowed it to air so with benoit and his death allegedly linked to steroid abuse the wwe underwent an investigation by the united states house committee of oversight and government uh reform regarding their talent wellness policy would- so the wwe talent wellness policy is fucking stupid like in hindsight it's a good idea but they're stupid the talent wellness program is a comprehensive drug alcohol and cardiac screening program that was initiated in 2006 shortly after the sudden death of 38 year old eddie guerrero the policy tests for recreational drug use and abuse of prescription medication including anabolic steroids which anabolic steroids is a are synthetic versions of testosterone. So in January 2009, Harry Waxman, the then chairman of the House Committee, requested the in a letter that the Office of National Drug Control Policy, quote, examine steroid use in professional wrestling and take appropriate steps to address the problem, end quote. Waxman continued, quote, in the first year of WWE's testing program, which began in March 2006, 40% of the wrestlers tested positive for steroids and other drugs, even after being warned in advance that they would be tested, end quote. I wish I was surprised. He also wrote about how wrestlers who tested positive for performance enhancers would receive a slap on the wrist and still be allowed to perform. It was also discovered during this investigation how easily wrestlers could secure therapeutic use exemptions so they could still perform while using steroids. Dr. Tracy Ray, a doctor contracted by WWE, claimed, quote, shadiness in almost every therapeutic use exemption case I've reviewed, end quote. Yikes. That's why it's stupid. They don't care. I really feel like they put it in place to just save ass. Yeah, it was it was it was saving face, but they didn't actually do anything with it. Like they didn't enforce it. So roid rage is a possible motive for what led Benoit to kill himself and his family. So this is like the statement that Jerry McDevitt uh, made before the toxicology report came out. Mm-hmm. WWE attorney Jerry McDevitt stated that quote WWE believes the facts of this crime do not support the hypothesis. Uh, that road rage or roid rage played a role in this murder. End quote. I believe the facts. Uh, what McDevitt, facts are you talking about? <laughs> no, listen. McDevitt continued by citing evidence of premeditation in addition to the toxicology report or to the um, not released toxicology report and the fact that steroids found in Benoit's home were prescribed. Yes, they were prescribed, and I didn't really put a lot on it, but the doctor that Benoit uh, used. Um, was found guilty of illegally prescribing medicine and had to pay like one million for every case, and it was like thirty-three million cases. Well, thirty-three million cases. It was thirty-three cases. Jokies. So let's talk about the Wikipedia controversy. Oh, Wikipedia. So fourteen hours before the Benoit bodies were found by police at twelve one a.m., Chris Benoit's personal Wikipedia page was updated to say, "Quote: The reason why Benoit missed the Saturday night match was due to personal issues stemming from his wife Nancy's death." End quote. Right. So Wikipedia confirmed the authenticity of the timestamp to authorities and told them the IP address, which had been registered back to someone in Stamford, Connecticut, which is where WWE headquarters is based. So somebody's gonna get fired. Yeah. The identity of the user has never been released, but they did confirm that they were from Stanford, but denied any involvement with WWE. I think that's bullshit. Yeah. The user said it was pure coincidence and had no idea what, like, that that is what happened. He essentially said that he, or she, he or she, 
essentially said that they were being a troll. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. <laughs> Jerry McDevitt claimed that no one from WWE knew that Nancy Benoit had been killed until authorities told them Monday afternoon. I'm sure. So I just wanted to touch a little bit about chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Encephalopathy. Whatever. CTE. <laughs> um, CTE is a term used to describe brain degeneration likely caused by repeated head traumas. It can only be diagnosed by doing an autopsy of the brain, so you got to be dead, um, which is really why it's, we really don't have a lot about it because we can't do it on the living people. I think we're um, starting to get a – I mean, there's a little bit more because, like, there's a couple football players like Junior Seau – uh, I was just looking at another one whose name escapes me, but he was a he was a Steeler, uh, one of the Steelers back in the. And you know, if I'm talking about a Steeler, it's actually like pretty serious. Um, but then there was also recently, I think it was a it was a couple a couple of years ago. Uh, Philip Adams, he shot six people and then killed himself. He, he was a Pittsburgh Steeler. No, this is somebody different. Oh. Hold on, let me. I don't. Chris is that's his favorite team. I know that. I, I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I'm talking about a Pittsburgh Steeler, hold on. It was like... Uh, is that the one that shot his family? I think so. And then he died in a crash. Hold on. Yeah. Uh, Justin Strzelix or something yeah, like that. I, 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 pro- I probably butchered that last name. I'm sorry. But um, yeah, that, was, that happened back in uh, 2004. Uh, yeah. So about that the- was one of the first four cases. Yeah. Before Chris Benoit. Yeah. And so there was him, then Junior Seau, and then recently Philip Adams, who shot six people and then killed himself. He also was suffering from CTE. So it's like it's a repeated thing that these untreated concussions are causing this these violent mm-hmm. deaths. Which essentially they're saying probably not wrestling now because I think it's a lot more like. It's it's very like yeah. It's not as it's staged um, bad as it was. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it was staged back then to a degree, but they're actually physically getting hurt. Mm-hmm. I think it's it was probably a little bit worse for wrestlers and like boxers because they didn't have a helmet like football players. I'm not yeah. saying that um, football players didn't suffer from it, yeah. but um, so CTE it's um it's a rare disorder and it isn't quite fully understood. I think now that we're technology is advanced um and we have uh more people that have suffered from it we're kind of understanding it a little bit better but at the time it really wasn't un- yeah. as understood um because like i said he i think was the fifth case that had just come up also aaron but hernandez got- apparently also had cte so i don't think so i think that was just an excuse but whatever because <laughs> he didn't play football for that i mean he played it in high school but it's not that rough in high school uh, that's according to his autopsy <laughs> that's what the he suffered from it so whatever i'm just that's not what it said in the documentary okay well i'm just reporting what was in that article so <laughs> <laughs> so um daughters and experts are still trying to fully understand how repeated and how many head injuries contribute to the changes in the brain that is cte mm-hmm. so they really don't like have a number of like how many times do you get a untreated trauma to your head and then also how severe i would assume too yeah um but some signs and symptoms of cte are thought to include difficulties with cognition and emotions physical problems and other behavioral changes um but it's cte is believed to develop over years and possibly decades after the head trauma has occurred um and that makes sense because chris had a 22 year wrestling career not including the years he spent doing it in high school yeah but CTE is mainly been found in the brains of football players and other contact sports such as wrestling and boxing as well as military personnel who are exposed to explosive blasts that I did not know I didn't either but CTE does not develop after a single head injury but it's likely years and years of repeated head trauma mm-hmm Currently, there it's believed to be two forms of CTE. So the first form happens in between the late twenties and early thirties, which is really um, what you're seeing for like the sports. Mm-hmm. But this may cause mental and behavioral issues, including depression, which I think Chris Benoit was suffering from after oh, Eddie. 
The second form happens in later life, around 60, and the symptoms include memory and cognitive problems and likely progresses to dementia. So that's another reason that they're not really able to see who's suffering from it. Like, Mm -hmm. because if it's an elderly person who passes away, dementia eats the brain. So you're not really able to see the damages upon the dementia. But um, symptoms of CTE... Like, in a whole, I have it listed. I just don't feel like typing it. Um, yeah. Is cognitive impairment, memory loss, problems with executive functions such as planning, organization, and carrying out tasks, impulsive behavior, aggression, depression or apathy, emotional instability, substance misuse, suicidal thoughts or behavior, Parkinsonism, which is um, where you show the signs of Parkinson's disease, but you don't have, like, you have the tremors. Yeah. And motor neuron disease. So, I don't know. Chris did suffer from the substance misuse, emotional instability, depression, aggression, impulsive disorder. So, a lot of that also overlaps with, like, other mental health issues. Because as you were reading, I was just kind of like, maybe I have CTE. No. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, a lot of that overlaps. And it's not not, uh, unusual for there to be, like, comorbid diagnoses. So... Yeah. So, the aftermath. A memorial service for both Nancy and Daniel took place in Daytona Beach, Florida on July 14, 2007. Both were cremated and placed in a starfish-shaped urns for Nancy's family. Because I think they like the beach. I would assume. Um, Yeah. And Chris was also cremated, and he had a small private memorial service in Ardrosan? Alberta on August 6, 2007, but what happened with his ashes have never been publicly released, which I don't feel like they need to be. So, yeah. That's that's the story of Chris Benoit. That's tough. Cuz like I really feel like it had a lot to do with like mental like the mental problems, yeah. like depression obviously, but then the steroid use which probably didn't help. Yeah. Um and then CTE, I feel like played a big and that's why i didn't want like i wanted because when i was first researching this case i was like oh fuck this dude right Mm -hmm. but then like i got to researching it and i was like oh i actually like feel bad yeah because so that's why i like wanted to list his like career because wwe took that from him yeah absolutely and like that's why like i know a lot of people are upset about a lot of the rules that the nfl has made because they're trying to prevent serious like head injuries so that cte is not as much of a problem and i know that a lot of like high school and younger like football leagues have started to do the same and a lot of people are upset about that but it's like do you want more people to have to suffer from things like this like that's the alternative (laughs) and it's well a lot of this stuff i think was untreated with um chris and obviously um wwe didn't I can't speak for them. I'm not going to get sued. Yeah. So never mind. No, it, it definitely. I don't think he's the only person who, in a sports career, has ever tried to fake not having an injury. Because, like, like well, you like, said, yeah, it, like, you're going to be out for a long time if that's the way that you make money. Like, that and you, they're going to well, and then you're going to be kind of forgotten because they're going to find the next mm-hmm. the next you. Yeah. So, and I think that's why Eddie. Well, that is why Eddie got Eddie Guerrero got addicted. Um, was because that's how he was self medicating to not hurt, mm-hmm. and then it just became a problem. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a really this. I think this case was really. All the cases are sad, but this one was, I just feel like there were so many areas he was failed in that yeah. I think had he just initially gotten, like, had he even gone to therapy, mm-hmm. that might have helped him. Yeah, because, like, having having that journal, I imagine, helped because he was able to get his emotions out. But mm-hmm. if you don't have somebody to help you walk you through these emotions and help you kind of process that that sadness it it can mm-hmm. get it can spiral real quickly especially when you also have all of these other things happening to you at the same time as well yeah and he might not have even been aware entirely that all of these things were happening to him but it's well it's also the like mid 2000s yeah. so all this stuff is taboo yeah. like it's very taboo considered how it is now i mean and even still now like my brother he played football in high school and there was one time that he got it i think he got a concussion or he got some kind of injury and he tried to keep it from their like the person on their sports team who um 
I, I know her name was Mrs. Armstrong. I don't remember what her official title was, but she basically made sure all of the players were like physically okay to be out on the field. But as soon as she noticed that like he was kind of like a little wobbly, she like sat him out. Like she was like, no, you're not going back in. So it's definitely a thing where even now people are still hesitant to ask for help for things like that. And it's, I wish it wasn't that way because a lot of a lot of hurt could be I don't want to say avoided, but it could at least be treated. Yeah. I mean and Nancy and Daniel didn't deserve to die. Yeah. I absolutely. Feel bad for them. They are victims. But I feel like Chris, yes, he murdered his family, but he's also a victim too. Yeah, exactly. Like they were unfortunately collateral damage in in the explosion that was his breakdown, I guess. Yeah. So that's a really sad story. Yeah, that is very sad. Thanks for ruining my night. <laughs> You're welcome. So you can find us on social media. We are on Facebook at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. We are on Twitter at Wicked Podcast One. We are on TikTok at Shockingly Wicked. We are on Instagram at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. And we are on YouTube at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. We have our website, which is either shockinglywicked.com or shockinglywickedpodcast.com. It'll take you to the same place. And we also have our Patreon, which is under Shockingly Wicked Podcast. If you join our Patreon, you will get exclusive access to things like blooper reels, um, bonus episodes. Sorry, I'm <laughs> brain fart. <laughs> <Super> <laughs> what other stuff are we giving you? Um, you get early access to all of our episodes, no ads. I know currently we don't really have any ads, but we're going to start getting some. So if you want it without ads, you got to pay for it. You also get uh, the full uncut interview with our with the people we have interviewed for our cases. The, and there's just a whole lot of stuff. So if you go onto our Patreon, it lists all of the benefits for the different tiers. I think on our highest one, there's also the possibility of joining a discord with us so that you can have like personal communication with us. So just check it out. There is a link on our website as well as in our Instagram and Twitter bios and wherever else social media bios you can find. So everything you give to us from Patreon goes right back into the podcast to help make it better for you. And maybe we can hire somebody to help us <laughs> do some some stuff here and there so we're not doing everything by ourselves. That would be really nice. <laughs> so, uh, Brittany, is there anything else that you wanted to add before we head on out? No. Cool. Uh, thank you guys again for listening. We will see you next week. Bye! Bye! <laughs>